You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Latini Conant, CMO at Sixth Sense. How are you doing today, Latini? I'm amazing. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, that's an absolute pleasure. So today we will be speaking about SDR teams and how can they best leverage uh, intent data. But before we get started, would you mind just introducing yourself very briefly to our audience and tell us everything we should know about you? Oh, gosh. There's not, <laughs> it's not that exciting. But my name is, yeah, Latney Conant, and I'm the Chief Market Officer at Sixth Sense, and we are a leading revenue platform that sales and marketing teams, as well as BDR teams, work in to really take the guesswork out of their prospecting and their marketing and their selling. And I've been here quite a while in, you know, startup land uh, or startup world, almost four years. So that's like dog years, I suppose. Long time, yeah. Long time. And before Sixth Sense, I was at a company called Aperio, which was more of a professional services company. And I was a GM, I was a global marketing leader. So a lot of times when I talk, I say I'm a recovering salesperson who's now a marketer. Good. So have you actually worked as a salesperson, SDR, BDR, or you AE? What sort of sales position have you been uh, involved into? Yeah, I've been an account manager. I've been a frontline seller. I've been a sales manager and then, you know, GM, which is has the, the profit and loss as well. Yeah, but I just really love marketing. And actually today, what's interesting is in, in the way we're set up is the BDRs and SDRs do report to me. Obviously, it's a it's a pretty shared relationship with sales and making sure we've got the right career pathing and getting them graduated into being sellers, but they do fall under under marketing and in our structure. And and I see that about 50% of the time. Yeah. Well we we actually did a study not so long ago with a company called Ten Bound. And in fact, I think in the study, I don't want to uh, don't quote me on that, but I think it was over 60 percent reporting to sales. And I was a little bit shocked by that particularly when you know that most of them are actually following up leads created by marketing. I would have thought that, you know, as you are following leads created by by marketing, you should be closer to marketing than you would be to sales. But I do like what you are saying about career pathing because that's super important. You know, the shell life of those BDRs seems to be reducing every day by amounts. And and after three months, they want a promotion. So it's, do, do you do a lot of promotion? Do you have like a an active career path? We do. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, so I think it even starts in the interview process, right? So if, if you don't want to move into sales, like if you're not, if that's not your goal, then we basically, you're, you're not a candidate, a good candidate for us. So I think it's important just from the get-go to set the expectation that you will move to sales. And, and I, I sort of make the joke that, you know, this isn't your parents' house. You know, you can't come home anytime you want. You can't live with me forever. Like you're, you know, in 13 to 18 months, you got to yeah. be out. And so I think it's just some of that, that, you know, the expectation around saying like, hey, I want to graduate you. And then, you know, working very closely with the teams that they will, grad, you know, logically graduate to, it is, is really 
in an important part. And I think that's the, ar- typically the argument to have them in sales is the career pathing. Mm-hmm. The argument to have them in marketing is when you think about the activities that they're doing and, and the need to like really give customers an omni-channel experience and have the right content and have the right message and have all the SLAs, it, that's the argument to have them you know, in marketing. So you just have to be able to cover both no oh. matter where they live from an organization perspective. Yeah, I love what you're saying about the, the career path and I completely agree with you. In fact, we, we've got a very, we, we've got a different analogy saying, well, look, operatics is not a jail. <laughs> it's not the parents' house. So we go a little bit more extreme, but we, um, we're very big on the career path. And, and we, we, we also help, you know, sometimes because of, of the nature of the company we are, our career paths tend to be more towards operation. So people who are SDR, BDR, and then want to become a manager of an SDR, BDR team. But we've got a few that wants to become AE. And, and if they want to become an account executive, we don't really have a ton of roles in our sales team. So they kind of want to join a vendor. And we are currently working on setting up a plan. I mean, in fact, we've got a few guinea pigs lined up uh, where we know there are good vendors, people that have developed talents because not every single organization have your mindset. Not every single organization wants to have people that they would accept to have a junior AE that may need support for three months, six months. Lots of organizations, they just want quota carrying people. You do it, you swim or you you, you sing, basically. So I, I think it's very refreshing to hear what you've got in place, guys, and, and super exciting. But just coming back to the conversation. But it also is makes sense, right? Because AEs on a ramp are the most expensive. They can really, really hurt your cost structure. So for us, the more that we know that we can get people in as an MDR, as an SDR, as a BDR, they learn our process, mm-hmm. which, and, you know, and the process they learn as a BDR, MDR carries forward to the process that they also use as an AE. And then what we've done is, you know, we actually have a commercial segment that is sells a more simplified product and it's, it's, you know, a lower price point. It's more of a volume and velocity model. So it's not like we're saying, you know, it's a natural graduation, which I think is critical to make it successful. And if I'm, you know, the head of sales for the commercial model, Mac, his name is Michael Kahn, Mac, the last thing I want to do is hire someone off the street who I don't know if they're going to be successful or not. I don't know if they, you know, understand our process. I don't know if they're a cultural fit. I don't know if they're an achiever. The hiring risk is one of the biggest risks to any sales organization. So if we can minimize that, it's like a total, you know, it, that's why the ba- baseball teams have a farm league, right? Yeah. It's the same concept. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's super smart. Speaking about smarts, you wrote a book. I wish I had the time and the energy to do it. I've got so much respect for people who actually go and write a book. So that book is called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls. Mm-hmm. So can you please give our audience an overview of the topics you cover in that book? Yeah. So the genesis of the book was, you know, the last company I was at was all about customer experience. And over and over again, we proved that an optimized customer experience results in profitability and growth. And there's a million studies on this. I don't need to cite them all, right? But, and so I really believed that. And so then I, I, you know, I came to Sixth Sense and got thrown in the wild world of MarTech and sales tech. And what I realized was a lot of the MarTech and sales tech 
wasn't actually designed to facilitate a better customer or prospect experience. It was about automating and, you know, counting leads and, you know, how many dials you do. And that really doesn't, you know, those don't result in a good customer experience and they may or may not result in revenue either. So I looked at the data that our platform was sitting on top of. And I looked at how much information is out there and how you can really use AI to take all of this information about your prospects and start to design a very different experience. And so I challenged my team to start. I said before the, you know, I didn't set out to write a book. I set out to do an experiment. And the experiment was, guys, we have so much great information on our customers and on our future customers at our fingertips. Why are we spamming? Why are we making making people fill out a form? I know who's on the website. I have that data. I know every piece of content they've consumed. Why is our BDRs randomly calling a list? That makes no sense. When we know when an account is in market and we know what they care about, you know, and marketing can, we can systemically get accounts in market so that our SDRs never have to make a cold call. And so I told the team, I said, we're going to, we are going to run our process with no spam, no forms and no cold calls. And let's prove that it works. And so, you know, we've doubled every single year. You know, we just got, you know, a valuation of $5.2 billion because of our nice. exceptional growth rate. And because it's, it's sustainable growth, right? We have a magic number of one, which is, speaks to our cost structure for sales and marketing. And so we have like these amazing SaaS economics all based on our SaaS metrics because we run this no forms, no spam, no cold calls methodology that is all about data. Like, like my SDRs and BDRs are not guessing what account to call, who to call at the account, what they care about, what's the right tactic to use. We're serving that all up every single day yeah. so they can be successful. Otherwise, it's you're just shooting in the dark, right? And we talk about that. We talk about most companies, most sales and marketing teams are operating in what we call a dark funnel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by the time somebody fills out a form and, you know, by the time an opportunity is being tracked in your CRM, it's way too late. So much has already happened. And so for us, we want to light up that dark funnel so that you know when an account is ready to buy. You know if that's a good account for you to sell to. You know why. You know what's going on with that account, critical market updates. What technology is that account on? Right? Are they, you know, do you, is there a partner that you can work with? Or, you know, is it a good technographic fit for you? You know, the keywords they care about. I mean, one thing for my team is I'm like, I don't know why you're like, you don't, you never need to guess what a subject line should be because right in Sixth Sense, you know, the top keyword, just put what you already know they care about in the subject line. (laughs) It's so, you know, so, so it just, we're really trying to put teams and people 
in a position to win and succeed and have great conversations. It's yeah. just, you know, trying to be more human. It's about the quality of the interaction. I think the, the whole thing, every single time I hear it's a number game, I just want to pull my hair out because, and particularly with the automation, sometimes I almost feel that it's like if, if I was about to prospect you, I don't even check you out. I don't even go on LinkedIn. I don't try to understand you. I don't try to go into my CRM system to see what you could have done. I mean, I'm not even talking about intent data here. Intent data is a goldmine of information, right? I mean, all the things that you are doing is super useful. Those guys have been consuming that content and that content and that content. This is so good. You know, you can really do a lot with that. But even if you forget that, you know, we try to train our guys to do their research and actually care about the person. Because if you care with the person, if you've got a real reason why you should engage them, you are convinced yourself that you can help them, you won't be an hindrance in their day, you will be potentially giving them an information that could help them to get a promotion or look good. Well, that's going to put you in a position of winning. It's like the analogy we take is imagine you are an MMA fighter or boxer or whatever. You would never stand on that train not knowing if the guy is a lefty or righty, if he's got a hook or an uppercut. You'll try to study the guy and train to win the fight. You will mm -hmm. go there thinking that you will win that fight because that puts you in the mindset is completely different from yeah. the number game where you're like, oh, don't pick up, don't pick up. Oh, God, he picked up. What am I supposed to say? All right, let's revert to the pitch. Let's talk about my product. And I'm going to put the nod out there and see if someone bites on it. And, and I think the poor quality of volume-based approach, dialogue-based approach and stuff like that, particularly when you go towards enterprise, it's really killing the business. It's really killing the art of actually having proper conversation, a proper informed conversation with the prospect. And it's more difficult not to kind of go through that sort of foggy first 30 seconds because people are like, no, I want to get rid of you. I know you're yeah. So it's it's about, I love what you are saying about, about being smart. So let, let's talk about intent marketing because obviously this is what you are doing at, at Sixth Sense. We see a ton of value about it at Operatics. We've got a ton of clients who are using it and giving, give us the data to support us in prioritizing and because being more, as you mentioned, accurate, more relevant, more interesting when we've got the first touch. But if I was any BDR-SDR manager, I don't use intent data, what would be the best practices or what are the best practices that you see of people that are using your intent data in the best possible way, including your own team? Because I'm sure you, you drink your own champagne, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that it's really important to, first of all, amass intent data, and there's different kinds, okay? So there's keyword-based intent data, which is something that we, we provide. There's topic or category-based intent data, which the leader in that is a company called Bombora. Yeah. But we also bring that into our platform. There's what I call second-party intent data. And second-party intent data, the reason I call it that is they're not on your website or your property, but they're on a website about you. So think about like a G2 or a trust radius. You want to have access to that. And then there's first-party intent data, which is everything they're doing on your website. And then there's actually a new category of intent data that I, I'm calling pre-intent data. And this is really important if you're trying to establish product market fit, if you really don't have a category. Yeah. And it's, what are the things that someone would do to indicate they will be in market? So hiring trends, 
psychographics. So what are, what's getting posted on their, you know, company blogs and things like that. Market insights, like things like, did they just get funding? Technographic insights. So did they buy something that would indicate they would also buy your stuff, right? And so there's this whole new category of what I, I would classify as pre-intent data. And you want to give your your team as much of that as possible, but just throwing it at them is actually not helpful. They'll probably just keep doing what they're doing. They won't use it. Too much info. Too much info. So it's critical. This is where the process and actually AI comes to bear. It's critical to be able to take that data and really synthesize it, like put it in a big ass brain, right? And what the AI is looking for is looking for patterns, right? And so that the AI is saying, you know what, typically when we see this data, that this happened and that happened, an account is ready to be reached out to. So yes, you need all the data. That's great. And you want to give the AI as much data as possible to start to recognize patterns. But then you need to be able to distill it down into actionable workflows. So that what happens is as an SDR, every day I come in to the office yeah, and I have a list of accounts that the AI has prioritized for me that are most likely to be ready in a prioritized order. But you don't want it to be a black box. So you don't want them to say, okay, now, so just because I know they're ready, why are they ready? And so then what you also need to be able to provide where they work. So either in the CRM solution that they're working in, or if they're in outreach, or if they're in you know, an, a sales engagement platform, doesn't matter. You want to be able to provide the account details so they can see why the AI predicted it to be in market. They can see, oh, this is the website visits. These are the people that were showing the most activity. You know, this is, these are the uh, webinars that they attended. So you want to give them like a console where they have this single view Mm -hmm. of all of the activity that the account is doing and then make it as easy as possible to action. So for example, I come in, my day is prioritized. I know the accounts that are best. I click, I go to the console. I have a persona map. Mm -hmm. Who are the key personas? that are engaging with us? Who are the key personas that we need to engage, you know, to get this to an opportunity? And then it's clickable to say, okay, add that contact. Okay. Put that contact, reach out on LinkedIn, right? So they can take all of the action that they need to right there. And things like recommended talking points are right there. Like, Hey, we know their top keyword is account-based marketing or predictive analytics or data enrichment. Like it, we serve that right up. So they have this like very efficient way of working and, and it makes their outreach relevant. So I think I talk a lot about like personalization, like who cares? Anybody can do a mail merge and like put my name in it or maybe look on LinkedIn and be like, oh, you went to UVA. Like that's not helping me do my job. I don't care. Still knowing that as well. It's but so many relevance, <laughs> what we want is every single outreach to be relevant. And the factors in relevant to make it relevant are one timing. Are we hitting this person up at the right time? Because we know there's interest, you know, or some reason to indicate that they're in market. 
Second is what do we know about this persona and their job that we can give them a hint and some help on, you know, how to do their job better. Next is account fit. So what do we know about this type of, the type of account that they are? You know, if they're a commercial account, they probably show certain patterns. If they're a manufacturing account, they show certain patterns. So the type of account it is, is also a factor in helping them be relevant. And then the actual activity that they're doing. So when you bring all those things together, you can start to really connect with someone on how to do their job better, which is really what relevance is all about. Yeah, yeah. Relevance, pertinence, I think is the winning is the winning part of the game. Personalization, just all the LinkedIn stuff that I receive all the time, the invitation, people say, oh yeah, you did this, you did that, or we've got connection in common. Okay, but why? <laughs> okay, we've got yeah. connection in common. We will have at some points because, you know, connect with lots of people. But Right. You Once you get to a certain number of connections on LinkedIn, yeah. you're connected to everybody anyway. What, what do you want? So I'm very interesting about something. I, I, I took a note, but you mentioned something I did not know about. So, you know, this is very educational for me. We we have a lot of uh, a lot of our customers that I would say are trying to create that category, and we've seen intent data for us being super successful. When, as you said, you know there is a category that is created. People mm-hmm. are looking for SD one. They are looking for endpoint security. They're looking for same stuff. There is a category. Is it's people is are aware of it. They go and search and they consume the content and we grab them and all that stuff. We've got clients who are creating that category. They've got another take on something that is being done and and they're disruptive. And we really always struggled to, you know, even when they've been using some companies like uh, Vivalito, you know, demand-based tech target, you mentioned Bombora, there is is a fair fair to do it. And also clients who are using you guys and actually we've got some great success with when you are using, we are using your solution. But can you zoom in a little bit more in that print and data? Because I think it's a fair part of our audience who are like in that sort of startup-y, newish, disruptive. I want to create leads. I want to get my content out there. But people don't find me because they don't know what to search for. Nobody's searching for me. So how do that print and data work? You mentioned like using Crunchbase. So you'll be looking at clues across the web and then you will have the AI kind of making it relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So you can put in all these different filters or different alerts, you know, show me hiring trends, show me accounts that are doing a lot of hiring of a certain role. That might be an indicator, you know, show me accounts that have recent, you know, fundraising, show me accounts that in their social, like when they're posting, you know, on their own profiles are talking about certain things that would indicate that they have a problem. Show me not just like we think about something called an ecosystem buy. So, you know, you think about my company before Aperio, you know, you needed to, there were certain ISVs that we knew that if you bought Workday or you bought Salesforce, you know, service cloud, or you you bought one of these clouds, you're probably going to need us, right? So being able to look at, you know, what is the ecosystem of things that they're buying and how does that indicate that maybe they would need my services or my solution? You know, a good example for me, you know, we integrate with a ton of like digital experience companies. So, you know, you're like 
Drift will be powered by Sixth Sense data, for example, or Optimizely or Path Factory or what I was talking about, our console being embedded in a sales loft or an outreach. So if you go and buy outreach, you probably need Sixth Sense. Yeah. You might not know about ABM or even care about ABM, right? But that's a huge indicator for us. Right. And so, so that's kind of this whole notion of the ecosystem buy that also goes into like how we think about pre intent and being able to serve that up for sellers and prospectors and mediators. Yeah. Yeah. All all makes sense. And that's through, you know, we, we just, we have those capabilities because we acquired a company and have integrated that into our product called Slintel was the product that we bought originally. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, I love that. And it's definitely something that uh, we probably should take offline because we've got a fair few, uh, fair few clients in that space that are looking at solution to, you know, they, they love intent data, but they don't think it's for them. And that's probably because they don't know pre-intent data. So something to talk about. One last question for you, and it may be a little bit of a, of a weird one because it's difficult to make generalities, but I'm curious to understand where the expectation of your clients when you sell them six cents, okay? So l- let me tell you where I come from. We have seen intent data being used as one of the tools to create inbound leads, okay? And we work with clients and usually, usually our clients will have their own inbound response management team. They use us for the proactive, they use us for the ABM, they use us for the outreach, they use us to yeah. go out, you know, reach out to people. But what we realize is that we often end up with the intent data because their internal team are sometimes complaining, for the lack of a better word, that it's not a lead. It's not someone who wants to buy right now. And even sometimes it's not the BDRSDR, but it's the salesperson. We're like, whoa, what do you mean? I need to go and create the demand? Those guys are not free to buy my stuff in three months. I actually have to sell. What? Don't want to do that. I want the other leads. So I'm curious to understand if, if you feel that from your customer and from the market sometimes, you know, people who've been used to have lots of inbounds and kind of use you guys as a potential additional layer of inbound. But what you are doing is basically telling them, look, people are looking around that stuff, right? There is an interest. We help you to prioritize what to talk to. It's an ABM approach. But you guys, we have to go and create the demand now. You have to go and do a bit of a sales job on those people. These are not people that are maybe ready to shop around straight away. Some of them may be because they've been doing their research, and but some may just be like in the planning phase, so less ready. So first of all, do you feel that or do you have that sort of feedback from your clients, SDR, BDR teams? And how do you deal with it if you, if you come across it? So a couple things. First of all, I would uh, look at their inbound and look at the conversions on their inbound. And they probably aren't that great, honestly. So yes, someone filled out a form and they can set a meeting with them. But it it probably... Anyway, I would be curious to dig in more holistically with these clients and their numbers. But that aside, what I believe in is I believe that the whole MQL process has totally screwed up marketing and sales. And here's why. An MQL is by definition a contact. And we know as a sales leader, when I, you know, when you do a forecast call and you start inspecting deals, one of the first things you test for is, is are we multi-threaded? Are, you know, are we talking to multiple contacts? Do we have multiple champions? Well, 
the longer a deal goes on, the actual harder it is to multi-thread. Because once you're in a deal, people tend to like want to, to wall you off yeah. from talking to other people. I'm the boss. And so, but with an MQL, we're saying, oh, we got one person for you. Bye. So we're literally queuing up single-threaded deals for sales. This makes no sense. So our process is all about multi-threading all the way through. So marketing's job is to warm up multiple personas who may come inbound, who may not. I don't know, right? We also run automations to enrich the record so that the contact data is there. Because that's the other thing is like, sometimes with intent data, you know the account. Yeah. But at, you got to go and call or email or reach out to, to someone. The yeah. To the people. And so what you have to do and, and what we do is we have an enrichment solution. So as the account starts to show more and more intent, I go and enrich that record so that when it's at the right intent level, all the contact data is there and ready to roll. The other thing I do, whether it comes inbound or outbound or, or in market, right? Whether it's just an intent you know, opportunity or whether they really do fill out a form and want a demo, the SLA is to reach out to three people. So you still have to work at in, right? You don't just set a meeting up with one person ever. You always have to set up, at least for us, so for us, for in, you know, our what we call six QA, which is a six cents qualified account. Yeah. The second it reaches six QA status, we want twenty minutes response, and three people get reached out to. So twenty and three inbound. Our SLA is six and three, six minutes and three people. Okay, that's quick. But no matter what, you got to work the account, whether they requested, and maybe that's a layup because you get that. But no matter what, and what that allows us to do is we have a very, very highly optimized conversion process. So, you know, we've got really great close rates. We've got high ASPs. We've got good cycle times. So it's a very, very efficient. It's actually a much more efficient process for sales. Yeah. And I don't tell sales, I want you to reach out to 50 accounts a day. I want you to reach out to four, but do it the right way, right? So, and I don't know, it's, I think it's, to some degree, I think it's a process. Android change. I do think some of the automation is key, the workflow around it, right? So you don't just get an account on a list, like it has to be enriched, it has to be yeah. ready to go. But I do think there's also a training aspect to it. The other thing is like, there's this mistake that like, so we back test our AI, okay? And a back test tells you how many times was the prediction right. Mm. And so for, you know, from our model, it's like it goes anywhere from 80 to 85%. So it's not 100%. This is not magic. But 85% versus just guessing? Oh, like, like how much would you take to Vegas if you had 85% odds? Plenty. Probably a lot, right? Yeah. And so explaining to them, but, also having a DQ, like again, for the 20 and three, like there's sometimes that, you know, anywhere from 20 to 15%, it might not be, maybe it wasn't the best fit account and that's okay. So they can DQ it. Right. And we're going to inspect that, but also having that is important. And just, again, it's about 
people need to understand the why and like what's really going on and like how the data works, how the, because they're smart people and they're going to, you know, again, I'm trying to put you in a position to win. You can guess or you can follow the process. Yeah. Your call. This is what the process is built on. And this is how we test and pressure test the process to make sure that it's working. 100%. And and you know, what's funny is that um, every single time people try to remove the element of prospection and using your brain in the process, the average deal value go down because marketings are creating leads to people who are creating leads. with You never really get the decision maker when you've got a lead coming. We see a lot of people asking for a demo because maybe they already selected a vendor, but they need to have two or three to yeah. go to German team because there is a process. That's but, why I said, look at the win rates and look at your ASPs. Exactly. Inbound be sometimes too late. And, and be there early. And you mentioned something that is, is so true, particularly in Europe, we see it even more, like the consensus buying. Like I was telling you about my, my disruptive startup. Well, they've got solution. Everybody looks at each other. Says, That's great. We need one. Well, we're paying for it. And if you don't speak with everyone, you know, you, you're going to get stuck. The, the sales process gets stuck. So I think it's not just creating that first meeting or that first demo and getting them to be excited. It's also after in the sales process, how do you go back and create more meetings, more engagement, meet with the right people, meet with a technical guy if you need to and say, look, technical guy, don't worry. You won't have to work overnight. You won't have to work over the weekend. You won't have to cancel your holiday at the lake. It's going to be seamless to implement. Go to speak to the guy with the budget holder, the actual business, the business case guy, right? If you can influence that person from the top and then you got, there is a cycle, but I personally believe that the biggest deal that get closed, and particularly when you speak about true ABM, is people who actually do the step first. They don't wait for the fish to bite. They go and hunt. They go and create the demand. And I think this is where your solution is, is fantastic because you can really get to them before they met two or three other vendors. So technically, for me, that's the biggest competitive advantage. If you are there early, you can influence. If you are there late, you battle against the competition with your battle card and your, you know, you can either have a conversation about the business and what you can do for them and sell the business and sell your USP, or you can just battle on product functionalities. And if I had a choice, I would definitely choose the former. But my point that I was trying to make is that people feel uncomfortable having this conversation at the right level sometimes. You know, it's difficult to have a conversation that is not a product-led conversation. It's difficult to go and meet with a C-level person and say, hey, tell me about your business. What are your pains? Let's have a conversation about it and see how we could help you. And I think because we see a lot of people getting into the sales process and, and automating the sales process. And you know what? My next step, uh, Latani, would be to take you through a demo. And you're like, no, I don't want a demo. I need the business case. No, but we need to do a demo because that's that's what Salesforce is telling me I should do. That's my next right, step, right? Right, right? I think there is that sort of force feeding of we have a process where, and maybe that's right for mid-market and small businesses. But I think when it comes to true ABM, when it comes to true enterprise, true big deals, having tools like yours, it's like it's like clue in a murder investigation. Yeah. I know who killed him. No, but I know that they went through that back door and it was a knife that did it. And the guy is like... Uh, a US nine, a Nike, right. you know, and that you narrow down. Right. And you've got some other stuff and you narrow down. And that's, but when we stop the curiosity of, of salespeople, when we stop the prospection element, I think that's where it becomes difficult. You're dead. Yeah. 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 No, I, I totally agree. And, and you want to encourage and reward for that and, you know, highlight 
the, the people that are doing it. But it kind of comes back, it comes full circle to what I wrote the book about, which is the more you lean in to the customer experience, like, like it isn't your process, it's their process. It, it is, you know, it's yeah. like in, a, in dancing, you're not leading. Yeah. You are not, that you have to let them lead, which can be uncomfortable. But so it's like, you got to know the steps though, right? So that's where I think some, you know, you have to know the steps and how to adequately respond, but know that you need to be queuing off of their behavior and their signal to be successful. And it's about bringing the right people at the table as well. You know, and yeah. again, I think I think you can you, you mentioned something that really resonates with me, which is the first are done, you know, the the cycle, the tougher it is. You you won't be able to go back to the yeah. right people because say, well, I've got my team dealing with it. I don't want to talk to you. I've got a project team. Right. And I've got you them. in my little box. Don't embarrass mm-hmm. me. Exactly. So look, unfortunately, we, we could probably carry on fun as our hour here, but it, we're getting to the end of the of the episode for today. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. I took a fair few notes and a few topics that I want to take offline with you. Very insightful. So thanks for that. If people want to reach out to you or connect with you, and that you're also very active in CMO communities in the US, you've got a fair few things going on. What's the best way to, to get hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn, it always works and is good. I do. If you're a CMO, I'd love to have you in my community. It's about 2,000 B2B CMOs now. And wow. we talk about everything and anything. It's very informal. We meet weekly and cover a topic that the CMOs think is most relevant. And um, it's interesting, while while the community has grown so significantly, it's almost like a family. So we always welcome new ideas and opinions. So feel free to reach out to me on that too. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for today. I mean, very grateful of your time and so much insight. So yeah, thank you so much for your time today, Latini. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.